Hello, and welcome to TNT, the Technology and Things podcast. Your host, Paul Ferraro, is a former IT exec and currently a technology advisor. Jeff Kruger, a fellow technology enthusiast, is the co-host. They both spent many years working for a Fortune 500 company and are both passionate about leadership, technology, and the community. So you've, you've entered the, uh, we're like doing a, a After the Oscars podcast. <laughs> is that what this has become? This, yeah, we just changed it up. It after, used to be technology. It used to be technology and things, and now it's uh, it's After the Oscars. Technology, things, and Oscars. <laughs> Pronounce your last name. Baja Biamilla. Oh, you said it right. I was okay. pretty close. Baja yeah. Biamilla. But, yeah, that's the, but that's the abbreviated version. No, that's just the last name. The full name is Akbar Oluwakemi Idowu Bajabia Miller. That's first two middle names and then my last name. Okay. Yeah. But you've been in San Diego for how long? Uh, my whole life. Oh, okay. So then you've probably at some point heard the name and it just stuck in the back of his head. Maybe. Yeah. 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 You're teeing him up. From San Diego, from San Diego State. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. 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 Yes, exactly. That could be. Are how, we, can you pronounce uh, Amir's last name? No. I've ne- he's never told it to me. <laughs> He's never told. Wait, us. So you know each other really well. I just first name. Yeah. <laughs> if there was a, if there was a, like What's a, up, a police, yeah, if there was a police report and saying, say, uh, you know, have you, yeah, Amir. That's he's my neighbor. It's just Amir. What's his last name? Couldn't tell you. I like that. It's yeah. Fulagar. By the way, it's highly likely you and I would be at a police report in and be. So let's keep it that way. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> no, no. Say, say, say your Fulagar. Fuladgar? Fuladgar. Fuladgar. That's, that's okay. not hard. No. No, yeah, but it, it, it... How many letters? Nine. Oh, yeah, that's weak. I don't even know. I have that. double digits. That's weak. <laughs> <laughs> and a hyphen. Yeah, uh, no, there's no hyphen. The hyphen has been removed. So the story is my father, when he came to Niger- uh, from Nigeria to America, people were intimidated by the last name. He thought that he could add a hyphen to help break it up so people could pronunciate the, the last name properly, but not realizing that a hyphen means that they're two different last names that you're right. bringing together. So when I went back to Nigeria in 2006, I saw the name without the hyphen. And throughout my college and my professional football career, they always had the hyphen on the jersey. And I always knew it as a hyphenated name. It wasn't until 06 when I was with the Chargers when I went home to, to Nigeria. I go, oh, it's not a hyphenated last name. And then my daddy said, yeah, it's not a hyphen. I was like... <laughs> Like thanks, <laughs> my, almost, my whole life. Yeah, my whole life. So I've removed it from from my last name. Some of my other siblings have kept it just because people, they're just used to it. They used to it, but there's it's just one name. That's great. Yeah. I love that. He, he just learned that in 2006. Yeah, 2006. Like, I was born in 1979. Hey, so. <laughs> hey Dad. Uh, he's like, oh yeah, we, I just added that uh, for, for. I'm telling you, man, the immigrant drive. Yeah, right. They're trying to figure out how to make things better. I love that part. Um, in your book when you went to... I actually read your book. Oh, wow. Yeah. This, this guy hasn't read it yet. I haven't read it. Uh, but when you went back to your uh, to your father's house and the the uh, they had planted two trees, I think his, your, your dad and, yes. and his and his brother planted a tree and I guess the one tree wasn't going to make it, but they both turned out to be these great trees well, or yeah it was it was great it was the apple tree inside of my grandmother's courtyard and uh the way the home was set up is that there's this big courtyard and then there's just the, this home and then there's an outhouse and i just remember this was a huge uh trip for my father he hadn't been back home in 30 30 something years 32 years 
And um, so we came in very stealth. We didn't tell anyone. We didn't announce our, that we were coming. And I just remember walking into the courtyard, and my dad is kind of shocked about how much Lagos, Nigeria has changed. And he's, he looks up at the, at the apple tree, and he goes, oh, wow. And um, so you see this tree here? And he says, I planted this tree, and I forgot the year that he planted it, but it was a long time ago. And he showed me the other one and says, my brother planted this tree. This tree grew, and mine, it didn't grow. And so they say, let's just pull it out. And I'll never forget what my dad said. He says, um, you don't know God's surprise, so leave it in there. You don't know what God can do. This thing was having a hard time growing, and the other one flourished. Well, 32 years later, since he came back, uh, when, uh, coming back to Nigeria, this is the biggest tree in the in the courtyard and it's this big flourishing apple tree that's just uh that's sitting in the courtyard and he's telling me the story and i'm like whoa but isn't that the story of my father's life coming from leaving nigeria just uh several years after the biafra war the civil war and the civil unrest that they had in nigeria coming to america and then i think about the struggles personally that i had growing up uh, in south central los angeles and crenshaw and then just moving my way up. But at every point, you know, I can think of those moments where I wanted to quit. And I can now think that even though I didn't know this story, it was in me that you never know God's surprise. Um, and I think if you just keep pushing through, there's so many people that have this threshold. Like once you reach that threshold, they're so afraid of what's on the other side that they just quit. And they'll never know that this could have been the biggest apple tree in the courtyard. It was it was quite amazing, especially, and I have it somewhere. I wish we had better cell phones with cameras back then because this was a flip phone. So yeah. the stuff that I had was very grainy, but I'll never forget listening to the story. He's just looking. I mean, he was in legit shock when he saw it, like, wow, like, like you see? But he, he had enough uh, resolve to go, don't pull it out. To don't, see it through. To see it through. Right. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. It's, that's, uh, it's, so cool. But, I you mean, know, on that, I, I think of another story um, that is different. But, you know, talking about pushing past your threshold, um, there are certain things white folks do that black folks don't do. And there are certain <laughs> things black folks do that white folks don't do. And one of them is jumping out of a plane. You don't see a lot of black folks jumping out of planes. Um, and brown people. And brown people. <laughs> don't forget about me here. <laughs> yes. There's just, they, they, we just don't do those things. And so I'm a, kind of a, a narrow guy, straight narrow guy. And uh, my buddy had a bachelor's party. And we didn't want to do the crazy, typical bachelor party type stuff. We thought, what could we do? So we thought we'd go out and, you know, we'd go to a shooting range and learn how to shoot guns. And uh, we said, oh, let's do, you know, jump out and go skydiving. And we're all like pretty square. We're all, oh, yeah. Oh, we got this. Oh, <laughs> shit. Yeah. Mm, yeah. You know, we're just really machoing it up like this is nothing. This is going to be a, a really cool bachelor party that's different. That's what we were aiming for. Uh, we get to the, to the location. First off, I had to drop some weight um, because this is when I was with the Raiders. So technically, contractually, I wasn't even supposed to be doing this. Oh. But, uh, you know, we just kind of did this off the, to the side. We figure nothing's going to happen. <laughs> Uh, so I got down to 250 pounds, not to, that I then realized that we had to actually get down, I had to get down to 240. That didn't happen. I was at 250. I'm like, I lost all this weight while I'm playing. I'm not supposed to be dropping weight like that just to do this experience. 
So I dropped the weight. This is during the off season. And we get there and we're having all this weight discussion. They finally give me the smallest guy to to get on my back to jump with him because tandem. The ta- yeah. yeah, the tandem jump. Yeah. Yeah, it was a tandem yeah. jump. And so uh, you couldn't exceed 500 pounds in in load. So I'm 250. I couldn't have another big guy that's 222. <laughs> they didn't want to get that. Goes, I had a really small guy. I mean, and I'm not making fun of his height, but he was almost like a backpack to me. Like that's how much. So the size he looked difference. like me. Uh, smaller. Wow, so yeah, yeah. So how tall I feel are you? better about myself. How tall are you? Five eight and three quarters. I just had a physical last week. <laughs> okay, I think he might have been. You know, I mean, you're right there at the you know at the average height. He might have been below average. He might have been like five six. But the point of the story is, we're getting up there and we're all just mouthing each other. It's like four or five of us, and we're all just big talk, big noise. And we get up on the plane. And the engine's going, the thing's going up, 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 up. And it's like, it's cool. Everything is fine. Like, we're still talking, making fun, you know, just with the guys. And then there's this moment when the plane opened up. And I'm like, this is not normal. Like, this. And now the the reality of this thing actually happening has just, like, made my chest start tightening. And I'm really, really scared. And, and anxiety I, starts setting. Oh, in. well, yeah, there was anxiety, but then there's another level of anxiety I had never experienced. So my first boy went to the edge and he went. <laughs> I was like, oh, shoot, he done died because he just he just flew. I mean, it wasn't like you see on the movies and, you know, it's slow motion like he <laughs> gone. And I looked out the window. I didn't see him. I was like, he's nowhere to be found. And then the second guy, and I was the last one. The second guy went, the third guy went, and they were just flying out. And then by the time I got to the edge, I'm looking, I don't see anyone in, I'm nowhere. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, like my chest is like on another level of anxiety. And this guy, the reason why I talked about his height and his size was he thought he could push me out to try to get, I'm like, "Mm mm-mm. And I'm, (laughs) I'm being stubborn. No, we are not going out. We can land this plane. I am not jumping out of this perfectly fine working plane. Just trust me. And he's barking all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm locked on like this. I mean, we just finished spring ball. So I'm, I'm <laughs> strong. I'm holding on. He said, just trust me. We're going back and forth. And I try to start to settle down. He was saying some stuff to me to try to calm me down. Just trying to talk, walk through the process. You guys are okay. This and that, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, on the count of three, one. And before he got to two, he just pushed Ow. me. Right? So I must have let up. And he just pushed me. And the whole time, and it's just like this free fall. I mean, it felt like forever. We were just going so fast. I'm like, this is not, and all the worst things started to come to my mind. What if the parachute doesn't open up? I'm spiraling out of control. He's trying to tell me to keep a certain angle and this and that, all this other kind of stuff. And I'm just like, I'm listening to him, but I'm really, really, and I'm not even watching. And I peek my eyes open. I'm looking out because I wanted to see how it was going to go. And uh, all of a sudden, I see him pull the thing up, and you kind of just like do this jerk thing up, and you go up, and and all of a sudden, it's just like I'm looking and I'm seeing everything, and I'm like, "This is cool as hell." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, white folks, they live a little bit." I'm like, "This is nice." It was it was really nice, and I you could see the perspective of everything, and I go, "Wow!" On the other side of fear is something magical, something special. If you only push past it, I would have never experienced that. I would have never had the story to tell. I would have never had this perspective if I never would have gone past that fear. Now, yes, I got tricked a little bit 
But ultimately, I never pushed him all the way back into the plane and fought him and wrestled him and punched him in the nose not to go. I could have done that. Um, well, he was backpacked to me, so I'm not quite sure how I would have done that, but I'd have been fighting myself. But I just, from that point on, it stuck with me that the point where I get nervous and I get afraid to push past that fear because I know there's something. And guess what? Failure could also be on the other side as well. But that's a learning, that's a learning uh, moment right there that you can get better from. So it doesn't always have to be magical in that it's a Disney magic. The magic could be in that you learn something very valuable, even in failure. And we fail more often than succeed. Absolutely. So you got to get used to that. Yeah. Because until you're not comfortable with that concept, you're not going to get to that point where you're pushing. Well, we're living in such a pure rail society now where everyone wants to sanitize everything. I don't want you to experience failure. I don't want you to. I mean, I look at just. Just say it soft. Yeah, soft. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, Charmin, like Charmin toilet paper, just soft. And a lot of the kids, we talk about this. Everything's handed to them. Mm -hmm. They don't have calluses on their hands, figuratively speaking, obviously. Having said that, they need us to be able to provide every step of the way for them, and we're not we're doing them a disservice at that point. Right, because wh- where's the where's the learning experience? There's like I think the worst thing, especially as a parent, is to be able to put your kid out there without allowing them to experiencing some of those failures, where you can teach them how to work through those failures, um, rather than protect them, protect them. And then they want to get out to the real world. They get out into the real world and they're just completely shocked. They don't know. They withdraw. They run from it. They don't want to push up past the, the uncomfortable feeling of failure uh, or difficulty. Like it's getting too difficult. I better jump out. That's not very, I mean, it's not very practical no, in my mind. Uh, agreed. But I'll tell you what, I struggle with how I'm, uh, I'm going to be able to overcome exactly what you discussed with our kids. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, my son's in at UCSB right now, and when he f- when he first went, uh, I went to like parent orientation, and some of the questions that the parents are asked, like their kids have never been by themselves, stayed overnight somewhere, like you know, and they're asking these questions, like, well, what if you know my Johnny gets sick, and you know they're like they they've just never let go. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they're they're all they're they're in college now, and they're and the the school is saying, "Hey, look, you need to back off. Don't call the chancellor, you know, to see if your son's okay. Like you need to, you need to kind of cut cut the cord a little bit, here. right? And it's it, yeah, it's, that, that was a discussion. We just sent our our oldest off to college, and I know that's something that my wife and I struggled with. Um, in that, I'm kind of I don't want to say cutthroat. It sounds cutthroat because you know. I think culturally we've we, there's this there's been this shift, but I know my father was like you're off to college you're on your own. I mean, I I remember this. Um, my father scared the heck out of me. Now I don't know if he believed it or not, but he used to tell us when we were very young, when you get old, when you get eighteen, you're on your own, you're on your own. You you have to be out of this house. You're on your own, you're on. So eighteen was like as I got older and older, there was just like man, I have to start to figure things out. And I remember saying, because it's what I knew, saying this to my son, and like, why would you tell him that? No, we're always going to be here for you. And we're really going to be I'm like, but then he doesn't grow this ability to 
start figure, trying to figure things out. Maybe we'll try to figure things out at 28, 29, 30. And not to say that there's anything wrong uh, because you're constantly growing and evolving. And it's not figuring out like I know exactly what I'm going to do. But the beginning process of understanding how to interpret your life, how to stay focused, um, how to get what you want, all these different things, I think, will 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 only start to get better as you, the quicker or the uh, yeah the younger that you are that's right and um so she she tried to paralyze essentially this this thing by saying oh no we're gonna be there for you no matter what whatever you need we got you and on the inside i feel the same as my wife but on the outside i don't want him to know that i want him to kind of have a little bit of that chip on his shoulder that you know, he needs to figure this thing out on his own. For sure. Uh, knowing that there's a plan B, mm-hmm. I see a lot of folks, they will default to that. Right. Before they push through to use your terminology. Right. They go, I'll just go back to plan B. My father said the same thing to me was at 18, you, you know, you're on your own. I, you had to pay rent mm-hmm. at 18. So I moved out and they were like, where are you going? And I was like, I'm, I'm not paying rent here. I'll pay rent somewhere else. I, and I, they were kind of like, talking to him later they're like we didn't really think you were gonna do that you know right. you just see that's how brown like, people you, are different than <laughs> you got white and black folk <laughs> well but you know though thinking back they're i don't like know come that, back home now i don't think my dad was really knowing my dad more now i don't think my dad ever really meant, meant it yeah meant it i think it was just something he said to put the because as a child like as like as i'm saying to you now like i wouldn't want my son just push him out there but I want him to have that edge on his uh, with him on his shoulder, knowing that I got to figure this thing out. Right. Not uh, I'll just let mom and dad figure it out until I'm 29, 30. And 32. we see that all the time. Yeah. yeah. You're here with technology and things. It's Paul Ferraro. We got Amir Fuligar. That's getting better every getting, time, Paul. It's getting better. And and we're here with Akbar Baja Biamila. Well, you said the more difficult name better. Did, really? <laughs> that, that was good. That was good. Okay. He's getting better with it. <laughs> That's actually true. And uh, we were, we've, we've covered a lot of ground already, but uh, um, thank you so much for, for doing this with us. I mean, this is, this is awesome. This has been really fun so far. So I've got notes here, and people are looking at this on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram or whatever it might be. Why is Akbar, the guy from American Ninja Warrior, on a technology podcast? Well, the answer is pretty straightforward. It's about overcoming adversity making things happen from nothing. Uh, One of the notes that I have here that I really want to talk about is going back to that immigrant drive. Uh, I think that's something that you and I share about. We talked about it in the streets while the kids are playing. And um, that's an interesting story. No plan B. And it applies to what we do from a technology standpoint, whether it's helping customers out with requirements, uh, with solutions, um, answers to business challenges. We don't always have the solution there. And we've got to push through and we've got to find the right balance between technology advisor, but also being able to push them beyond their comfort zone so that they do the right thing for their business and push through. So in talking to Akbar, uh, since he's moved into the neighborhood, um, there was just a tremendous amount of overlap from his story of playing ball and then realizing that that wasn't going to last forever. What's plan B? And hearing his story, obviously you're reading the book. Yeah. He was able to establish a career path for himself out of the get-go doing what he loves. Right. You're a natural. I mean, I can tell right now this is what he was meant to do yeah. outside of playing ball. 
So you it's mean, really be, cool. You mean be on our podcast? <laughs> podcast. Yes, that's that's what, it. Podcast. This is it. Well, we pay the big bucks here, so he knows that. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's been a, such a blessing for me to have made that transition after the NFL. I didn't have a big NFL career. I had an average NFL career, um, and I'd probably even say below average um, NFL career. Uh, but hosting American Ninja Warrior has literally been a lecture hall for me, a class, because I get to for living not only cheer the people who are competing on the show uh, and for the listeners who aren't familiar with it. American Ninja Warrior is a competition reality show where uh, the competitors have to go through the hardest obstacles in the world and um in the 12 seasons that, well, we're getting to re- to go into our 12 seasons, but in 11 seasons, we've only had two winners on the show, two million dollar winners on the show. And that lets you know there have been thousands upon thousands of athletes who've competed um, and only two. So you know that there's a certain resolve that you have to have to keep coming back to compete with the hopes of winning the million dollars. And well, sorry to interrupt, but one of the things I really liked about that I never really thought about was just the you talked about in your book the just to be able to get on there and compete is so many people's sort of goal right you know not not to ring the bell at the end but just getting there and and competing is well you know, it, it's the I think it's the story for so many it's just being able to just get out there and put yourself out there yeah to be ridiculed to be viewed by thousands in attendance, millions watching all around the world. Like that's a lot of pressure. You're talking about your ordinary people who are getting ready to do some extraordinary things on the course where this is not their platform where they have lights, cameras, and everything is being dissected and people are kind of involved and interested in this story and your run and all this person. I mean, because when you fail, you're not just failing privately, you're failing in front of the entire world and that's what I think why people look up to, to, to professional athletes, because when they fail, they fail in front of everyone. Think about your personal failures where it's just you and maybe your boss or you and your partner, or you and just a small group of people who know. But when everyone knows you missed that shot, you missed that grab, you missed that swing or whatever it might be. And it lives with you. Um, you know, I, I got into a dispute recently and. Uh, about Baker Mayfield, quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. And I said some not so favorable things about him um, in just my opinion as an uh, NFL analyst. And it's so funny how many people will go back and say, well, look at your NFL career. You're <laughs> and they go back and they pull these things because essentially, like I said, like I, didn't, I had a below average NFL career. And to me, being a professional athlete, I wanted to be a Hall of Famer. Nobody gets into it thinking I just want to be average. That was never my mindset, but it didn't work out. And for me, that is in a small way, um, but it's a public failure that will follow me on my Google trail no matter where I go. So I'm 12 years removed from the NFL, and it's when somebody wants to, there's a, I can go back to your public failure and I can bring it to your face. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, in, and, in seconds. Yeah, In seconds. And yeah. it could be something else. I mean, it could be if I did something else in public. Let's say I got arrested for something. Well, I can't believe that. It's because it's public. And so I think athletes are special in that way because they have to endure that but keep pushing through. And 
but I was alluding to earlier is that Ninja has given me that. That's what gave me the platform to write the book. Everyone can be a ninja because it's about overcoming obstacles. I watch um, as a as a host. I get to watch these athletes overcome obstacles, whether it's getting through one obstacle, two obstacles, three obstacles, whatever it is. I'm seeing how they process that information. That's my 18 year old son calling me. He, <laughs> he wants some clippers uh, for his hair. Um, he's never had to worry about purchasing clippers before, so he doesn't know the right type of clippers to wear. So that's an obstacle that he's got to overcome. But, um, Jeez. yeah, it, it really is. We had a whole conversation about clippers. He asked me, he said, these are $12. Like, no, those aren't the ones you want to use for your, let me show you the right one. But those are the throwaways. <laughs> yeah, those are the, for, for sure, the throwaways. But, uh, but anyways, no, it just, you know, the being able to be on a show where I can see, these ninjas overcome obstacles. It keeps me grounded and humble in knowing that this is a metaphor for life. Uh, the book is supposed to help people in that same way to be able to process some of the obstacles that they have in their own lives. And I try to give practical tools on how to see obstacles. And I, I guess in a nutshell would be that being able to push past the uncomfortable state. Um, there's this old cliche. I think everyone's heard it. You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's what growth is. I think back to the days of the dog days of two a days and the NFL training camp and you're practicing twice a day and you're hitting like you're lifting weights twice a day. You're doing all this stuff. And the soreness that you get from doing that twice a day, it's like, oh, it just hurts. And you complain and you whine about <laughs> this is unfair and it just hurts and I don't want to do it anymore. All these things cross your mind. The difference between the weak ones and the strong ones are the ones who are able to endure. Say, hey, you know what? There's a bigger goal in mind. There's something that we're trying to achieve and we're trying to get to, and I'm gonna stay the course. And it doesn't mean I don't feel the pain, but here's what I love about the muscle pain. For example, if you're lifting weights, you're literally tearing muscle fibers. Literally, they're tearing muscle fibers. And then once it heals, it grows back, not only bigger, but stronger. That's right. That's what life is like. Yeah. I love that part in your book. Uh, you talk about that a lot. And I, I like how, I love the honesty. You always have, uh, you, you're very real about it. You'll talk about the, the fears of whether, whether it was in broadcasting or in NFL or changing positions oh. and saying, oh, you were, you were, I forget, a linebacker. Yeah, I went from defensive end to linebacker, which is a big deal. Yeah. Um, in, in the world of football. Yeah. Um, and many people might think, well, you play football, you should just know football. There are different levels in the IQ, the football intelligence. Uh, and for me as a defensive lineman, I felt, I felt like I played the dumbest position. And not saying that the, the defensive linemen are dumb, just that you don't, you don't have to know the most amount of football to play the defensive line position. All I had to know was line play. I could tell you all the different zone blocking and reach blocking. I could tell you all the different things that happens within my box. I can look at running back depth and know, oh, that's a pass depth. That's run depth. That's my world. But the minute they removed me from that box and took me one, one layer behind, one level behind to the linebacker position, 
I had to learn a whole new concept of routes and I had to look at the quarterback and what he was looking at and all the in-depth and drop to the seam and the coverages. I never had to worry about coverages Different specialization. Different specialization. And how did you adjust that? It was very hard. I wanted to stick to my old ways. I wasn't very receptive in the beginning. I'm a defensive lineman. And why would they? Because I was mad. I went through the frustration of, I'm a defensive lineman. You guys are moving me to the linebacker position. It was almost like I got elevated or moved into an area, not almost, I was into incompetency because I didn't know this position. So if I wanted to stay in the league, I had to learn. And so I went through the failure of not being able to get it and then I eventually got cut. And then I went to another team where the San Diego Chargers, where Greg Minuski uh, really took the time. He identified something. He says, I, I know exactly where you are right now. Because that's embarrassing to tell people you've been playing football for a little bit and you don't know cover two between cover two and cover that. I don't know what that is. And I don't know what my responsibility is. And I don't know how the whole architect of this defense works. I don't know where I fit in. And before it was just beat the offensive lineman in front of me, get around, get a sack, stop the offensive lineman from me and get the running back. And so that was it. That was really the essence of defensive line play. And that not working out, um, it really hurt that my career didn't go on, but what I learned from it took me beyond my football career. It was allowed me to be able to analyze football, which I don't think I would have done as just a defensive lineman. So even though I didn't get the career football career I wanted, that time that I spent with Greg Moneski, who I just sent the book to, he's defensive coordinator for the Washington Redskins. Or then, my team. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. We've talked Redskins about that fan. before. Yeah. yeah. So, but you guys are in good hands now with uh, Ron Rivera. We'll talk more uh, about that later. <laughs> but um, he he taught me something that allowed me to be able to analyze football. It was just that one year in 2006 that I had, that small time that I had with Greg Minuski, that I was able to, oh, I get it. Like, oh, I understand football a little bit more. And I'm like, gosh, I wish I had him earlier in my career when I made the transition because it would have been a lot smoother. Um, but there are so many people who won't, who will resist the change, who will resist the difference. And sometimes you need that. And maybe it's something it, can I draw a parallel with technology for a minute? What he just said is what we have conversations with our customers about change. You've got to embrace it. If you're not embracing it, obsolescence is around the corner and that would have been your situation. Right. Yeah, so there's mean, a lot as, of common denominators with absolutely, that. As technologies are changing, both individuals and the teams have to learn new skills. Uh, the teams have to sort of, you know, figure out what, what the new normal looks like, and it's constant. And not having subject matter expertise on a new foreign subject is a scary thing. I, I think, yeah, I think that's that's important to be able to sort of recognize that and own it like you, you do, Akbar, and say... I don't, I need to learn this, you know, and that's okay. Like, and asking for help, you know, which I think. That's a good point. You were talking about that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's in your book. That's a, a major theme is asking for help. Yeah. Every like, corner I've ever turned, I've asked for help. I've asked for help. And yeah. pride is the only thing I believe that stops people from asking for asking for help. I tell my son this, even, you know, as he was going through high school, don't be afraid to ask for help, but so many people want to be perceived a certain way. They want to be seen as the as the top. They want to be seen as the one that knows it. I'm like, you're who cares? <laughs> like, I there's the no individual e- cares. It's that ego. Yeah, it's like right. the ego is just it's such a lie. I mean, 
I don't care. Even if I don't know something, it's okay. Like, it's okay. Like, I can learn it. I have the ability. I'm comfortable in knowing that I can learn whatever it is that I'm interested in. If I'm interested in it, and if I can't learn it, guess what? I know people who know it that can help me out with it. Can I, I that, stop you right there? Yeah. So I've made a living off of saying I don't know. And if you talk to some of my customers, friends, colleagues, that's the first thing I'll say is I don't know. But we'll go get the information for you. Right. So you're right. I mean, again, I'm trying to draw parallels between our world and his world. Yeah. Because there's a lot of common denominators between the two. But look at our IT strategists when we take into accounts. Yeah. They're could, helping us with the sales process. I, I was going to say, I couldn't imagine, um, or I could imagine actually, how that process could be. Because as a football player, when you're going from one defensive system to another defensive system, the biggest lesson I ever got was from Coach Ken Delgado, who's my defensive line coach at San Diego State. And in my senior year, they switched coaching staffs. And I had a new defensive line coach. Now, mind you, I didn't start playing football till my senior year in high school. So really, my real formidable, formidable uh, learning experience was from, from San Diego State, from Coach Delgado. I had one defensive line coach my, almost my whole career. So everything I knew about football, the genesis really started with Coach Delgado. My senior year, they switch him out, and I resisted Coach Booker. I didn't want Coach Booker. Fought change. I, I, oh, man, I was like, nah, bump this. And everything he said, no, don't do it this way, don't do it. And he's undoing everything that I learned because if you're telling me that Coach Delgado stuff is wrong, then you're telling me I'm wrong. man. And then I, I had status, so I tried to big time him. I didn't want to deal with him. I'm like, I'm not listening. And I just remember one day just frustrated. I called Coach Delgado. He's now at Cal. I'm like, man, coach, man, this is not working out, man. I'm just, I don't know how my senior year is going to go. And I'm just complaining. And he says, Akbar, you have to let go of what I taught you and open your mind to the possibility that what Coach Booker is teaching you could also add, add it to your arsenal, add it to the, and maybe you have to get rid of everything, strip yourself down, but just know that you have the talent. You have, and I just remember like, oh my gosh, Coach Delgado could have easily taken that opportunity and said, oh, yeah, my way is the best and it's the only way. But there are multiple ways of doing things. And if he didn't have that, that conversation with me, I don't know when I went through the, to the NFL and I had to have, you know, Coach Bresnahan and Coach uh, Wade Phillips and all these different coordinators, oh, Dom Capers. Yeah, yeah, Dom Capers and going through all these different things, which are really different, all of them from Bresnahan to Phillips, Wade Phillips, to Coach uh, Dom Capers. Those are different schemes. I would have just been stuck. And I think people who don't accept change, they're stuck and they don't have any ability to grow. Can you imagine if you're a child and you just get stuck on your fifth grade schooling? It's like, <laughs> I'm not accepting anything else. That's, that's it. A, that's a pretty how, good how example. Does, how does that work when you go, you're you know, in the NFL and you're talking about these different defensive coaches are you in a classroom for, I mean, is it like a kind of a yeah, couple hours a day? Or? Oh, yeah, several hours a day, Where? several hours a day. Cause you only practice really two hours a day. Um, so the rest of it is meetings after meetings after meetings. I mean, your whole schedule is just full of meetings. Yeah. And in between there, you, there's another hour, hour and a half for, for training, but essentially you'll get up there, you have team meeting in the morning, then you break off into individuals or actually before you break off into individuals, you break off into, um, team meaning, 
defensive meetings, offensive meeting, and then from there you go into individual meetings, so D-line, safeties, Got wide receivers. So everybody has their own specialized meeting. After that, you have lunch, then you go out to practice. Oh, no, excuse me, you lift weights, you go to practice, you come back, you watch tape from practice as a defense, and then you break it down again, and you go into defense of your individuals, and then you're done with the day. How long is that day? You 10, can go 10, 12 hours, 14? From eight, from eight sometimes. To, no, no, no not, not that long. Probably eight to four, eight to five. And if you spend any more time after that, you're on your own watching tape on your own. But you're done. Your day is done like 3 to 4 p.m., just depending. Not to go off on a tangent, but you're lifting weights before you're doing practice. Yep, yep. Or sometimes you can do it afterwards, just depending on which, like if you've got an injury, so they can scale it. So you usually have your lunch, then you have your weight session. But during season is different because... It's maintenance lifting. It's not heavy, hardcore. You're not lifting. building. Yeah, no, yeah. It's maintenance range lifting. of motion. Yeah, sure. Keeping all that. That's right. That's that's it. I, yeah, it's it's like a nine to five job, kind of. Yeah, it is. It it, <laughs> it, 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 it it really is. It is a job. Most people see the, just the highlights of football and think ah, you're living the good life, but no, you, you are. You have a ton of meetings. You eating a bunch of uh, sunflower seeds. You stay up in meetings. You're tired. You're physically tired, and you're mentally tired. Wow. Amir, by the way, eats really healthy. He he fed me this uh, this green. Uh, it's like a kale leaf. With, it's a collard with, green leaf uh-huh. inside, packed with tuna. Yeah, it's from Creations, isn't it? Yes, yes. it was good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I only could eat. Look at that free advertising for my spot. <laughs> I could only eat one half of it because it was because it was terrible. It, no, it was just a little. Paul, it's just, okay. It was a little. Paul, you like processed foods? <laughs> <laughs> he, he likes. He said, "I like processed foods." He does like his beer, as do I. I do like, yeah. Can I switch subjects to a little more no, of a no off topic? Um, so he and I, we talk a little bit of wine. Yep. But that's that's another uh, um, fun thing we like to talk about on the street. We, we'll we'll drink a bottle here mm. and there. The point I'm making is, you also know have to know how to relax and unwind. It can't be work, 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 push, push, push. You got to let the body rest, just like when you're working out. You can't lift every single day. You got to repair. You have to heal. What are you doing to do that? What, what, what are you doing on your off days? Ron Sheffield, my trainer, uh, who trained me for the big 40-yard dash in the NFL, told me, and I never forgot this message as well. I have all these little life lessons that has come through coaches and, and mentors, but he's saying, he said, rest is just as important, as, if not more important, than your workouts. Because this emphasis is I got to work out every single day. And then when he says rest, you're like, no, I can't rest. I got to just keep lifting and keep running. He goes, your body needs to recover so you can actually maximize your gains. And I was like, whoa, like no one ever told me and put it into perspective that rest is just as important, if not more important than just trying to just go, 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 go. Um, Now, I've been able to apply that in my athletic life. Uh, when I played as, as a, as a parent, um, as a husband, I've not figured out a system on how to relax. In fact, it's very stressful because I have this guilt, um, traveling in production, doing different shows, uh, at the time or right now I'm hosting three different shows, American Ninja Warrior, American Ninja Warrior Jr., which is a spinoff. And then the NFL, uh, at the NFL network. And then I'll do speaking engagements, wrote a book. I mean, so my schedule can be very busy on a plane, off a plane, in a new city. And when I get home, there's this guilt that I've been gone. 
So I don't have the right to relax. I need to jump right in and start being parent and just try to be present with the kids, even though I'm tired out of my mind. Um, or this idea that even when I'm local, working locally at the NFL Network, which is in Los Angeles, and I'm just driving up and back to work uh, from work, there's still this feeling of I need to do more at home because I'm out. So it's almost like punishing myself for being out as a provider. I get it. And it it wears on me because it's like I'm like a kid sometimes because I will purposely stay up after the kids and I'm dog tired. But after the kids go to bed, just so I can feel like I'm a human being and not just a if that even makes sense. Like I'm not just grinding that I'll just try to watch a show and I'm not really watching the show. I'm literally just sitting there to feel like. I'm doing something that's not work. So you can tell yourself that you did it so that you might be able to relax at a later time. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Is it, it, does this sound weird? Because no, no. That's I, why I asked you the question. Yeah, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do it. And it's just like, I couldn't imagine, you know, there's been this thing, like there's this stereotypical dad. He works hard, mm, gets his beer and just sits on the couch with his feet up and he just watches sports and tells everybody to leave him alone. Right? Like that's the... The, I'm like, I don't want to be that because then that makes me a bad. But then I'm like, well, shoot, I'm going to end up just dying sooner because I, I don't know how to turn anything off. It's very hard or I'll have to sneak and try to get some downtime. Like one of the favorite things I love to do is when I had a charge uh, Tesla before I just sold it. I never I can say it now because I don't have one now, but I never got a charger in my house, but on purpose. So you'd have to go to the super. So I have to go to the supercharger. And wait an hour and I'd fully charge my battery for an hour because when I got charged the car, I was physically getting charged because I had a time to just sort out my thought and just kind of go through what, okay, what is it I want to do? What am I looking for? What it like? And once I got all the air and stuff out of my brain, I could just allow myself to relax. Sometimes I'd fall asleep or just take a nap and I came home, I'd come home and I'd be alone. My wife was like, Oh, what'd you do? You must have like she can see the difference in in kind of like my you, attitude. Like you were at the spa. Yeah, like at the spa. Like what's what's gotten in you? You must have drank coffee or something. No, I didn't drink any coffee. I just I had some time to just process the day and just and just kind of relax. Your relaxation doesn't cost very much money. <laughs> I wish mine was as cheap as that. <laughs> I got a couple of vices I could turn you on yeah. to if you're looking for new things. Well, sure. I'm I'm always open. <laughs> Why did you get rid of the Tesla? Well, because uh, I, well, I have a new deal with Toyota, so I'm oh. a I'm a Toyota guy now. Got it? Yeah, I'm a, Very yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's a good reason. Yeah, that is a real good reason. <laughs> uh, one, one, you know, one connection when I was reading your book was uh, CS Keys. Yes. So actually, uh, you must know Katie Temple also. I know who she is. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So we we were I worked with uh, with Katie a uh, number of years ago. Okay. And uh, she kind of actually got in the tech world for a while. She was doing uh, project management uh, down in San Diego after, I think she was maybe still doing some freelance uh, TV work. But, uh, but it, CS used to, ho- used to uh, host a trivia a night down there oh, for a well. few years. And, and we, Katie would get us all down there. And, and uh, he was a great guy. Yeah, it really was. And, uh, and uh, I just love that, you, you know, he, Gave you that great shot to go on a show. and uh, But that was because I asked for help. Yeah. And he was so receptive and it was so hard because you thought, oh, he's probably not going to want to help me. And it's 
why I have this spirit of I always want to help others that want to like get into the industry um, or it's just even if it's not getting into broadcasting or entertainment, it's just being able to help people, just being a helper. Um, but CS Keys, when I got done with football and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, he goes, hey, man, I have a platform. If you ever need to use this platform, I'll show you how to do it, what to do. And he gave me all these tips that I went out and I actually implemented to help build my career. And as I was building my career, he was always there to say, oh, man, I'm proud of you, man. Keep doing it, man. You just, you know, and it was it was cool to have that, but so many people will never ask. I mean, you could see somebody that you really look up to, or you could see somebody that somebody's, you know, I could only even imagine in your space, you know, um, that you guys have implemented some sort of IT system where somebody else on the outside and peripherals is watching and looking, but they will never come and just ask like, hey, how can I make my systems better? Or how can I make any type of improvement? Because perhaps there's holes in them within them in their own system where yeah. they don't want that to be exposed because of insecurity or whatever. And then they just ah, probably don't shouldn't ask. And we do this self-sabotage. Oh, he's probably too busy. Like for me, I could have even said that CS keys is on TV every day. He's too busy. He's too big time for me. He's not going to want to talk to me. You make up these random excuses to justify your own fears. You shut yourself down. Yeah. yeah. Self-sabotage. Yeah. So the example that you just gave of customers not asking for help, oftentimes they've made a decision and they're stuck in it. And by asking for help, they feel that it's going to admit that they made a mistake in the decision that they made. So they live with it. Are you, have you seen that? Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I was uh, running a shop for a long time. and He ran Qualcomm. I ran, well, I didn't run Qualcomm, but I ran. I'm pumping your tires. Thank Paul. you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you, you have to sort of get over yourself, though, you know, and, and realize, like, you're, you're going to make mistakes and all that. But it, it is, a, it is a, a, f- a fear or a kind of issue that comes up where you where you you've made some decision and you're like well but when you've been to, I, I was at Qualcomm for 26 years and so you kind of have to live with your bad your good and bad decisions over the years maybe maybe it was a bad hire you hired someone that did, really hasn't worked out and it's like who hired that guy oh I, I did you know um, and so or maybe maybe on the on the technology side you made a decision so I think it's just a matter of of owning it kind of for sure you know and and it's it's sort of normal you know and i think uh we actually had a conference um like a a security conference a couple or like a seminar all day long and our keynote speaker was talking about how the security leaders are not talking enough to each other so like one company is got maybe they're seeing some issues with their environment but they don't want to tell another company because you know, it's like, oh, or competition. I want to be the only one that can be able to resolve this yeah. or whatever. We see this so lack of on. lack of collaboration is the what co- you're saying. Yes. Right? And, and he talked a lot about how people need to collaborate uh, to be able to let's solve the stuff together. Let's work mm-hmm. together rather than like all be on our own. I mean, most of these people are not competitors, really. They're just it's some other. So I think from an organizational standpoint, Evotech, our company, we do a pretty good job of doing that, whether it's events like the security summit that we just did or even a Laker event that we had last week, a suite. We put our customers together. We put the smartest, everybody in the room, and we say, have at it, collaborate, talk amongst yourselves. And I'll get 
emails the following day saying, hey, I talked to so-and-so from this other company. Thank you for putting us in touch. And I believe in networking. You know, I think you're a lot of the same way. Same with you, Paul. We're only as strong as our network. So the more we can leverage that, I think we all benefit. Yeah, I, I, I I totally believe your net worth is associated to your network. And I'm not just talking about financial net worth, um, because I think your worth is more more than money. It's um, in relationships. It's in your ability to problem solve, just doing things together in that collaborative spirit. Um, but if you have a, a, a big network, then you can really see that, you know what, I bet you and you know how to tap in, not just having a network, but knowing how to tap into your network. That can be difficult. Yeah, yeah, it can be difficult. But it also can be very easy. Agreed. It really is as simple as just asking, like picking up the phone, picking up the phone. Um, closed mouths don't get fed. Um, and that was one of the things that I emphasized in one of the chapters in my book is that closed mouths don't get, I mean, if you literally don't open your mouth, nothing is going to happen. And there are those people who wish things were better and they have all these grand ideas, but they will never reach out to, to even ask. Um, and I, I think there's one that highlights in my life for me would be, um, just going out and asking for a job. And you like, hold on, like, what do you mean asking for a job? That seems weird. But let me walk you through just kind of where I was and how pride could have gotten in. I think I know where you're going with this. I like this story. Yeah. I was I was cut by the Raiders in 2005 that I signed with the Chargers in 2006. So I set out 2005. And then 2007, um, I got picked up to the uh, to the Dolphins, got cut by the Dolphins after the first game against your Redskins, Jinx. Sorry about uh, that. <laughs> um, last and, time we won. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I'm sitting at home rehabbing, and I'm looking, hey, this my football career is not happening the way I thought it was going to happen. And I'm going back and forth trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And the season's going on, and it's just getting deeper and deeper into the season. I'm like, man, this is, nobody's calling me. This, is, And I just said, forget it. And I remember waking up one morning and um, uh, and actually this happened twice. I'll go back and talk, tell the other story that's just similar. But um, I went over to the local NBC station at uh, in San Diego and I said, uh, hey, look, my name is Akbar. I went to San Diego State, played for the Chargers. I'd love to uh, do the postgame show for the Aztecs, San Diego State Aztecs, my alma mater and the Chargers. They looked at me and they go, yeah. No brainer. Absolutely. We'll do it. I said, I'd do it for free. Now, that's, that was why they said, of course, because I said I would do it for free. In exchange, you guys would give me my tape so I could get better. But imagine if I never, ever asked. It was as simple as that. I didn't call ahead of time. I never made any appointment. I just popped up. And I knew in my head that this is something I wanted to do, but I was insecure. I was insecure because I didn't have a big name, football name. It's like, well, who's going to want to hear me talk? Because I got to have a playoff win or a That's Super Bowl. That's hard to imagine, by the way, or, you being insecure. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I am 6'6", 250 pounds. And I'm, yeah, I've got insecurities for sure. Um, and that was hard. But I had to swallow all of that and just ask. And that right there was the genesis of my, my broadcasting and entertainment career. I mean, who would have ever thought that just by getting up one morning, just being frustrated... Now, I could think it in my head, and go, oh, yeah, but there's a lot of stuff that would not make me like, no, I'm fresh out of the league, so I still, I got good money, so why am I asking for a job? Like, you know, like, that's not, 
because this is a thing that that's for real that players go through. They don't want to enter into a new area of work because they have to start at the bottom. When it's like when I remember getting my first paycheck for CBS College Sports, twenty six thousand dollars. I was like, man, I was making this a week per game. So it's like this, but I'm making this in a whole year. So there's this humility factor that obviously has to. So, but that that mindset could stop you from ever asking. Well, I'm just gonna only try to go for the top, and you have to start somewhere. Another time that this happened to me is when I was with the Chargers. Before I got to charge that 05 season that I sat out and I didn't play, I was at home and my house was just across the street from Qualcomm Stadium, which was literally two miles from the Chargers facility. Same thing like I did a couple of years later. I woke up out of frustration of being at home, not playing, seeing all my boys playing and talking to my boys and I'm just at home. I just woke up. I said, I'm going to go to the Chargers facility and I'm going to ask for a job. And I walked in and I saw Georgette, who's working at the front desk. I didn't know her at the time. And I said, hey, is Coach Marty Schottenheimer here? And she goes, no, does he have an appointment? I mean, do you have an appointment? I go, no, I don't have an appointment. Go, okay. Hmm. She's kind of looking at me like, yeah, this guy's nut. It's like, uh, she's like, what is this regarding? Oh, well, I just wanted to, you know, interested in playing for the Chargers. And she kind of gave me that look like, yeah, you and all the other people that live in San Diego. <laughs> okay, well, just write down your phone number and your name. And uh, yeah, I'll make sure he gets it. That was really just, please leave this place, you nut. That's what she was really probably <laughs> thinking. And as I'm walking out, can you imagine? Marty Schottenheimer is walking in. Now, I knew NFL schedules, what time coaches usually get in. I thought he might have been there a little earlier, so maybe I could talk to him before the players got there. That was my hope that I could talk to him before the players got there. I'm walking out, and I see him turning the corner, walking into the building. And this is going through my head really fast. Like, do I say something to him? Well, I just left my information with Georgette. Maybe Georgette will give it to him. And she sees that we're going to cross paths. Like, hey, that guy just up. I I was scared, okay? Because he's like, who the hell are you? I'm Marty Schottenheimer. <laughs> yeah. like, why are you talking to me? I don't know you. And like with nerves in my voice, hey, coach. Hey, my name is Akbar Bash. Being a Miller, uh, I played for the Raiders. I'm just at home and I I'd like to play. I'm nervous. I'm like, you can hear it in my voice. I was like, he goes, I know who you are. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to talk to my scouting department, and this is towards the end of the season. I want to say three weeks later, I got a phone call. Hey, we want to bring you in. Signed to the Chargers in 2006 wow, for the 2006 that's crazy. season. And if I would have never asked, if I would have never, I mean, there it is. I had multiple times like, oh, she said she was going to give him the message. I'm out. But this was right here. This is the person I was willing to talk to. And I, I understand it takes an enormous amount of courage to do something like that. But then just think about what you're missing out in life. All the times you never ask. Think about just like not having that courage just to speak up. Doesn't even like I didn't have to be the smartest person, the best player. Right. I just had to speak up. I, I mean, I think that takes balls. For, I mean, yeah. to walk into the office there and, and the NBC studio and just go, hey, I, you know, I'm ready to work. I'm here to work. Right. And. Huge, and uh, I hate to keep drawing parallels to our world, but... Yeah, will you stop it, please, Amir? I can't. <laughs> Pick up the phone and call who you're trying to get a hold of. I mean, it's as simple as that in our world. Communicate. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, uh, Schottenheimer, we sent him over to you guys. It was uh, good luck coming your way. Well, yeah. 14-2 and two that season, 2006. That was the year that LaDainian Thompson broke all those records and... Of course, we lost to the Patriots in the playoffs, but um, nevertheless, it was uh, it was still a magical year. I like Marty in uh, Washington. Yeah, he was a good coach. 
He's a good dude. Yeah, good dude. You know, you talked um, about being relaxed. Like we were talking about kind of the relaxing. You know, and I watched a couple of your, uh, when you had been on, um, I think it was Megan Kelly. Oh, yeah. You, you just, you're so relaxed. Like you just come out like, hey, this is, you know, how, how do you, how do you, how do you get to that place of just being, you look like you're just, you know, <laughs> cool as can be. And well, depending on which Megan Kelly one you watched, uh, because Megan Kelly, she loves to talk about really like hot topics. And we just live in a world now like this is probably the most, maybe the most unsafe I've ever felt in, in, in the public because everything you say is scrutinized at a level that is just, I mean, it's unprecedented. I don't think there's ever been a time where yeah. people have been so, maybe before I was born when everybody was afraid that anything you said against America, you were going to be considered a communist. You know, oh, he's a commie, he's a commie. But that's the way it feels now where, you know, everything you say is like, if you have an opinion about something and you disagree, it's hate speech. Like, what? Hate speech? I just disagree. Like, how is that hate speech? And being on a platform like that, doing the Today Show next to Megyn Kelly, uh, there are times that, yes, I am relaxed. And I'm relaxed because I'm just comfortable being who I am. I'm okay if I don't pronounce something correctly. I'm okay if I don't look or dress a certain way. Like, I'm okay. I don't have to be. I don't wear the pressure uh, in most of my life, not all areas, but most of my, I don't wear the pressure of I've got to be what you want me to be. And I think that's why it's so hard to relax because people, uh, social media, they're trying to be what everybody else is on social media. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And what ends up happening is that you end up not enjoying your own life. Um, you know, and you know, we're having this conversation on the heel of the death of uh, Kobe Bryant and, and the other victims on the helicopter plane or a helicopter, uh, excuse me, and um, it, it makes you realize how fleeting life is. And if you know that you're only giving a certain amount of time on earth, why waste it trying to be what other people want you to be? Um, because that's, that can be hard, you know? like And impossible. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's impossible to keep up. Maybe you do it for a little bit, but over time, you just, you really become like, so that's, I think that's how I get to that comfort yeah. level. The times that I'm not uncomfortable is when I'm speaking, like I call it my Barack Obama speech, when Megan has a hard topic and I'm literally speaking like Barack Obama because I'm trying to figure out what can I say that won't put me in a position where, oh, this guy's now fired from his job because he said this or he believes this. So I'm like, uh, well, look, let me be clear. Uh, <laughs> Sasha and Malia. Uh, well, where's Nancy Pelosi? Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm like, thinking, pretty good. I'm thinking about everything going through my head. Like, okay, she just asked me this question. How do I answer this without messing it up? I'm like this. I can't live like this. I can't speak like this. Like that's not who I am. Yeah. But I have to, because I'm protecting myself because I know the, the climate that we're, that we're having this discussion. It's not an open discussion where it's safe. There is no people say, oh, safe space. There's no safe space anywhere. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's no safe space anywhere. We, we could have uh, Barack Obama on our podcast. Well, you could uh, do he's coming <laughs> next one. <laughs> I could listen to that all day. That oh was my God, that's pretty good. <laughs> By the way, thank you for that bottle of wine. 
Oh, did you have it? No, I'm having it with you. Oh, okay. Oh, good, good. It's Charles Woodson, uh, former teammate. He started his uh, wine company, and I, I figured uh, Woodson uh, 24 Wines. I, I figured that I'd uh, give you a, a little sample. Well, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I think it was a vintage one. I think you got, I gave you an eight, oh nine. Yeah, it's oh, it's yeah. it's not current release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he still making the wine? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you know where in Napa? I'd have to call him and figure out. You want me to text him? Text him. I'm curious where it is. Is it mountain fruit? Is it valley floor? Okay, let me see. All that Jeez. nerd wine stuff. So, so, so for all your listeners, Charles Woodson is a future Hall of Famer um, who's... Uh, hold, on, hold on a second. Oh, he's actually doing this in real time. Where I do like you this. get your wines? Or what am I asking him? Where do you get your grapes? Where, yeah, where is he? Where is this fruit coming where, from? Okay, where in Napa are you getting your... You, how do you say it? Fruit. Fruit. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, don't overcomplicate things. <laughs> in Napa, do you get your grapes? Is that... Is that it, that's th- it. That's it. Okay. That's it. So okay. he and I like to have a couple glasses of wine. Kids are I running wanna, around on the street. he's educating me, too. I want to move to your street. It's, we, you <laughs> know what? We've fun. got a great street, actually. Yeah. Kids actually play outside. That's right. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the case anymore in the rest of the world. No. No. Uh, but yeah, we're learning from each other. Uh, and again, going back to the whole commonality of things, he lives in a completely different world as a celebrity, and I'm doing technology, and we love what we do too. But at the same time, just hearing the experiences, there's tremendous overlap and lessons to be learned from both sides, which is why I thought it'd be great to have him on the podcast. So No, it's been fantastic. I mean, really appreciate you coming and doing this, and, and uh, I think people really like hearing this. I mean... Well, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate you guys having me uh, on this. I love having these discussions about uh, life, about overcoming obstacles. Um, and I just look back at, at my life now and just think, I remember coaches telling me, um, you know, to keep you committed while playing the playing ball, like nowhere else, you know, in your life, are you ever going to be able to have this type of success? And the truth is, that's not true. You know, and you can think that this moment that you're having prosperity, that this is it. Everything is working fine. This is the pinnacle, but it's not. And for many people, you know, people think, yeah, the NFL is. But for me, I've been able to reinvent myself by asking for help, um, by making myself teachable, by minimizing my pride. We all have it, right? But the ability to be conscious of it to minimize it, suppress it, so you can receive help. Those things have allowed me to elevate myself to another level. Um, I didn't even get into the story about uh, bombing my first year on Ninja Warrior, but essentially, without going into details, my first year, it was an absolute bomb. I mean, it was so bad. (laughs) And I had to, again, lower, humble myself to be able to receive help. I could easily say, hey, well, I got the gig so I got it you know it's their problem not my problem but I had to be able to police myself and say hey Akbar you got to get better you got to be able to get better especially in a world in entertainment where people may not necessarily tell you you're not doing good after every show they say great job great job and I'm not used to that world because for me in the football world and sports world Monday after your Sunday game you had to watch film and you had to be critiqued every little detail had to be critiqued and they weren't afraid to call you out 
And in this you got the real feedback, real feedback. And in entertainment, you don't get the real feedback. Now, part of it is because they're scared of upsetting talent. The other part is they can edit whatever. out. I could say a whole bunch of crazy stuff right now. And you could just edit it out. That's the magic of Hollywood. But that part is very crippling. So I had to be able to self-police myself and go, hey, I need to be conscious enough and say, hey, Akbar, was that your absolute best? No, that wasn't my best. Do you know how to get help? Uh, I don't know where to get help, but I know how to use my mouth to ask for help and find out how, how to get that help. And I was able to do it and continue now. Eight years later, I'm still doing the same show, which is really not it's not that common in, in TV, especially in the landscape of television now where shows are in two, three, four years. They're off to something else. Yeah. No, I, I, I uh, that book really resonated with me because I like I said, I was at Qualcomm for 26 years and then I started a whole new career. And it was really in the technology sales. Uh, I'm sorry, Paul. Were you there when they had the old school uh, Qualcomm flip phones? Yeah. Man, those are dope, man. Yeah. The Q phones. I think they were called the yes. Q. Yeah. It was I mean, the Q phone. Yeah, the Q phone. They had those, man. I, I, man, I remember when I got mine. I got mine later, maybe like three or four years after it was like super, super hot. But you couldn't tell me I wasn't the coolest kid on campus, <laughs> man. I the, I only had like like 90 minutes on my plan. That's back when they had the the, the minute plan. <laughs> Singular wireless, but I had that Q phone. Boy, I had that thing on my hip. You, you remember, you had to wear your phone on your hip to be cool. Uh, yeah, that was me. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I, I don't know why that just hit me right now randomly. But so. yeah, no, it it was. Uh, you know, I, so I went through a whole transition with my job, and and I think uh, a lot of a lot of it resonated just about how you have to rebuild. You kind of have, you know, I was at a certain place in my. What career. was your transition? From, what what so did you transition a, from? I was in a, an executive role in IT. So I was managing uh, 150 people worldwide, different, you know, India, in the U.S., China, Europe, and then uh, took a job at Evotech and was an individual contributor working by myself, uh, kind of flying around to different regions, helping our customers. But no, no, you know, I wasn't managing a team. I, I, I had to, any work that I had to do is I had to do it myself. I wasn't like, Hey, Hey, Johnny, go delegate, delegate this work. It was, right. it was, so it was kind of relearning, uh, just relearning a whole new job. And when you transitioned to something, uh, when you made that choice when you left Qualcomm, right? Yeah. And you went through something similar too. you had to transition. I did. Yeah. Um, that sounds crazy when you say it like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all tell seriousness. Us about, tell us about your transition. Yeah, so here. I was at another company, uh, a similar space for 14 years, and leaving that was extremely difficult. But I knew it was the right move to make because of all the change that's happening in our world. You've got to pivot, or you're going to be obsolete. So uh, when I joined exactly three years ago last week, um, it, it was definitely eye-opening how little I knew about other spaces in our industry whether it's platform engineering or security or some of the other disciplines that we have here, that I looked back and I said, I probably should have left sooner. Wow. So I like to embrace the change. Do you guys experience identity crisis during this change? Because that's something I I experienced an identity identity crisis where you don't really know who you are. You've been in this space for so long that you you don't develop. There's this... um, there's this feeling of like, man, like I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. We were just talking about that before you arrived about his role. hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Cause you know, I had this big job. I, you know, really important, you know, vendors were, I I got treated really well by our suppliers and everything. And then I I had this guys like me. Yeah. And then, 
it's like all of a sudden you're just kind of on your own and it's, and it's scary. Yeah. Because you've been identified with as in, in one area and people know you for this, this is what you're doing. And then you have to come in where there's new skill sets required. There's the doubt if you can, if you can do it. Um, there's for me, I know I had this like imposter syndrome, like how did I get in this position where I'm doing this and Mm -hmm. I'm, I was this because you only identified people identify you as one way and you start to identify yourself as only one thing. And that can be challenging. Yeah, it, 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 absolutely. It was, uh, my, the worst question I I used to get that I I hated it. If I got the question was like, what, what do you do? Like in, in, I had this new job. I was like, what, what do you do? And I was like, I I don't really know yet. I might, I, it was the scariest question. I always knew what I was doing and it was kind of like, and what did that? What did that feel? What did that feel like? What, what, oh, what did it trigger? I, I used to get just like I get kind of like I would want to get out of that situation as soon as possible. Why? What? Why though? Yeah. Why? Because it was uncomfortable for him. I get. Yeah. It was just uh, I, like I maybe like the imposter or I didn't I, I didn't know what I was doing. Wow. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I didn't want to admit it to other people that I didn't know what I was doing, you know, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's like, well, what, what do you, what do you do all, you know, what are you doing there? I, I don't, I don't know yet. And it's like, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird space. And I asked that because I had my triggers, which was when I would try to go out into doing different things in the beginning, trying to figure out what am I going to do? And people would go, how come you're not playing football? You're still big and strong. How come you're not playing? You look like you could still play. And it would trigger me. Because essentially, when I'm trying to apply for another job or looking to other thing, people don't see me as somebody competent enough to do it. It's like, you look like a player. You should still be playing ball. Like, that's all you could be. And I'm like, man, like, is that all they Put see? in a box. Yeah, I'm like, man, like, it was hurtful. So it would really send me spiraling down and just feeling bad about myself. I'd feel a little depressed and like, man, is this all I could do or... People are like, why are you working here? Or why are you interested in here? Like, yeah. Um, because I'm more than just a, a football player. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's kind of, it's been nice though, because I, after that period, uh, I've really spent a lot of time trying to help other people that are either looking for work, going through job changes as well, and just helping them because I know how scary it is when you, when you're in that, in that space. And so now I, I've spent a lot of time just doing outreach to people that I know that are, I see them that maybe they've lost their job or they're, they're looking or whatever to help them and say, Hey, what, what can I do? You know, how can I help you? Cause it's, and just talking them through some of that, uh, what they're thinking about and just, Having a resource yeah. like Paul on our staff to be able to go and share his experiences at a very big shop from a global standpoint and be able to talk about what he's been successful with and unsuccessful with. I mean, having that resource at our fingertips is amazing. So it's great having Paul on the team. Yeah. It's, it's, it's odd sometimes. So I, I, like I'll, I'll be sitting with people that had my job at, you know, at some company that we're working with and they're, they're like, yeah, yeah, you, you know, you know all this stuff already. And I'm like, no, no, tell me, like, I don't, like, I don't want to presume to just know what, like, don't, don't just say like, oh yeah, you've already been there, you know, like, or you were a football player, so you know everything. You know all the offensive plays or defensive yeah, plays, like, whatever no, no, it is. T- no, t- no, I'm still learning. Right. Tell me what you're, 
what you're doing. What you're, I want to know. I want to hear it from you and, and all that. So sometimes it's a little like they'll just sort of assume. assume. And I have to say like, no, no, like I want to hear from you what's, what's going on. And it's, yeah. And it's the appetite for constant learning, whether it's uh, about wine or music or working out or diet or technology or sports or mm. broadcast uh, in your world. We, we can never just be happy with what we have. Akbar, does, does Amir text you at like 10 o'clock at night with videos of like people playing hard metal music? No. Oh, no. thank God. Yeah. Yeah. I'd probably block it. Okay. <laughs> he sent me what happened to the open mind? <laughs> <laughs> that goes out the window. Yeah. He sent me one one night and I hit the thing and I hit play. And it's like some guy just like going... You know, just hard. My wife's like, "What? What is that? Turn that off!" You See, know? While, like, while, it's a mirror. He's—I don't know. He's sending me this crap. While you're at the Tesla supercharger, or used to be, yeah, I'm on YouTube looking at metal videos. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which is worse. Well, I guess we know how you relax, right? That's for sure. Yeah, I still need to figure that out. I still need to figure that out how to best relax. So uh, I'd imagine that this is relaxing for me, just being able to have an open dialogue about uh, about life. Well, I really appreciate you uh, agreeing to do this yep. and coming down uh, with Paul and myself. And I hope that a lot of the listeners, I was about to say viewers, not in this sense, uh, the listeners got a lot of uh, what I got out of having conversations with Akbar and parallels associated with our world and yours. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. All right.